Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Son of a gun. Part of the Paramount Podcast Network. Chris, I'm rusty, I guess. Uh, not in the routine. Here I am goofing up the name of the podcast. It's it's Monday. The game was on Thursday. Saturday was just kind of without a game, and I don't know what you did. Or I was not near a television, but catching up on things. And as I look around uh, the Big 12 and college football, I know West Virginia's 0-1. Kind of don't hate the situation that West Virginia's in relative to where a lot of 0-1 teams are after one week. Um, my first question to you on a day that we'll get into subscriber questions. Eighth place team in the Big 12 in the preseason. One Saturday, one Thursday, I get that. Definitely not selling stock right now, right? No, I think, uh, you know, I said in postgame, I was teetering between seven to five, eight and four. I kind of leaned towards eight and four because it heard so many good things about JT Daniels <clears throat> leading up right before that first game. Um, and what switched from seven to five to eight and four was was saying that I think maybe West Virginia is going to pull off that win over Pitt. They didn't, but that still doesn't change my my thoughts on this team. I think seven and five is very realistic. I don't think if, if West Virginia goes seven and three the rest of the way, I think that's a, a great job. And it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't absolutely stun me if they pulled that off. So I don't think there's um, any way of of really kind of being like, oh, well, this is a lost season for West Virginia. Um, let me throw something out at you real quick. Like, because mm-hmm. you're talking, you know, big picture here, Big 12, where West Virginia stands, what's coming up, what to take from one week. Pitt was ranked 17th coming to this game, right? Now what the, that was what it was in the AP poll. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the rankings don't really go past 25. I mean, there's others receiving votes, so you could probably get out to like 35 or so. Uh, I'm going to use ESPN's Football Power Index since that ranks all 131 teams. Would you like to take a stab at a number of where the next toughest opponent for a Big 12 team was 
in week one. I looked at the schedule because there's only one 0-1 team in the Big 12 right now. And it is West Virginia. That's right. Yeah. And there's not a lot of Power 5 teams that are 0-1 with a non-conference loss. And then you look at some of them like it's Notre Dame, Ohio State, pretty good. Virginia Tech, Old Dominion, not very good. So you have a pick game right there in the middle. I was thinking, well, that's not too bad. But then I did look at the schedule, and it was pretty thin for the Big 12. Uh, Would Central Michigan be the answer? Central Michigan is the answer. Uh, it was it was a toss up. It's close between Central Michigan and Colorado, but on, on that scale, that ESPN FBI scale, Football Power Index, from one to one thirty one, where do you think Central Michigan is? Give me just throw a number out there. Ninety five. Close. Yeah. Central Michigan eighty seven. Wow. Colorado ninety six. Those are the two. Those are the only two opponents in the top 100, 110, 120. I mean, like some of these teams that were being played. UTEP is 119. UL Monroe, 124. Um, you go around, and then, you know, obviously, I think it was like five. Uh, yeah. There's, so those two Central Michigan, Colorado, 87, 96, 119, 124 with uh, UTEP and UL Monroe, and then I believe it was five FCS opponents, which do not get ranked in the top 131. So that that was the rest of the Big 12 schedule. And, and so I don't think any West Virginia fan should be ashamed of being 0-1 when everybody else is 1-0 right now. My final question to you before we start. Mm-hmm. Um, this is three straight years, so it will be three straight years. They start with a road game against a Power 5. Nobody in the country will do that. So just one team that goes 21, 22, 23 on the road against the Power Five. That's West Virginia. Um, I know that these things are done years in advance. And I'm trying to remember how many of these alliances are responsible for as I look at them. But some, not all. But openers against Power Fives, that's rough. Openers on the road, that's harder. Uh, openers on a road in succession, and, and let's face it, your coach could probably be on firmer ground. If you had to do it over again, would you do this? Or would you break up your power fives? I know you really can't do much with the road home splits, but um, let's just say it's opening with three straight power fives. Would you like to get that FCS game in? Would you rather get a group of five early on? Because it's also part of a schedule where they play two power fives. Uh, that's for 22, 23, and 24. I believe in 25, that streak snaps because they they play a road game at Ohio, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, 25. And then the next year, they play a road game at ECU. Yeah, here we go, uh, at ECU. Originally so scheduled be... for what, 2007? Something like that. Right. <laughs> How long ago was that game? Yeah, so now you're not playing two power fives, but you're playing a road group of five, which Whatever, that's that's not ideal, but I guess that's better than maybe a road power five. But um, I don't know. I guess maybe maybe not a question, but what do you just think about the non-conference? And I know it looks totally different when you've got a coach of 17 and 19 and, and you have fans who would much rather be 1-0 than 0-1, but also understand that 0-1 is more likely when you're lining up opponents like this at the beginning of the season. But um, I just feel like maybe you don't see a Twitter video from the head coach on Sunday afternoon if they're 1-0 because they drove Towson. Um I just feel like if they could rearrange the pieces, they would here. They would do this a little bit differently. And I think you've already seen it. Because I think, one, if you're playing two power fives, your discussion about schedule and order here comes down to, do you want to open with 
the cupcake, for instance, the, the FCS school or the the weaker group of five school. And then you end up with, you know, what, 11 straight games against Power Five, you know, no break in there. You're going mm-hmm. you're going back to back non-conference Power Fives and then straight into Big 12 schedule. Or do you want to open with a Power Five, get a little break with an FCS school and come back to Power Five um, or, or go Power Five, Power Five, then FCS to try to get a break? Uh, a tough question, but I think we've got our answer about how they feel about the uh, two non-conference Power Fives because, you know, Pitt, Virginia Tech, Penn State, Pitt, Penn State, Pitt. These are future non-conference schedules for West Virginia. Uh, now, Pitt, Virginia Tech. Next year, Penn State, Pitt. 2024, Penn State, Pitt. 2025, there's some Robert Morris and at Ohio. 2026, UT Martin and at ECU. 2027, VMI and Ohio. So I think you're going to see, you know, there's a lot of talk about, hey, look at us playing two power fives. Look at us. We're tough. And I was like, okay, maybe that that was was not the best idea. And switching back a little bit to um, uh, two group of fives or a a group of five and a FCS to go with that big power five game in the non-conference. Yeah, and to support your point here, why those days are over one no one else is doing it yeah why should west virginia i'm not being rude there but like they, they don't need to distinguish themselves <laughs> apart from getting wins right so don't go with the schedule that you don't have to play but also um all these openers against power fives Pitt, penn state penn state um and then it goes away and then it comes back alabama alabama tennessee you get to um 30 31 and 32 so forgive me here for a second but that's Pitt, Pitt, and Pitt. September 7, September 6, September 11. Those are quite likely week two games. I cannot see them opening with a power five and then playing Pitt in the second week. So I think you're going to see a group of five or an FCS there, and then the power five um, will be Pitt, and there'll be an FCS or a group of five after that. There's just no way they're going FCS, power five, power five, or power five, power five, group of five. There's no way they're playing back-to-back power fives in september because even now they don't it's pitt towson tech they don't have a choice this year because of kansas i understand that but even next year penn state duquesne pitt penn state albany pitt uh robert morris ohio pitt that doesn't count but you're just seeing that they have it broken up that a group of five an fcs a power five a group of five an fcs a group of five um, or power five sorry but i I don't think they're going to be opening with power fives really after that 2028 season because that's Tennessee next year is Ohio. And then uh, the three pick games I mentioned, I just think they're going to have a little easier one to get, get the season going there. Yeah. And it, I, I do think there was a time, cause I remember this discussion when they, when they started playing this out and it was almost like this, this, this pride that West Virginia was first on, on the frontier here, you know, moving forward, this is the way college football was going because at that time, there was this new or renewed emphasis on strength of schedule. Hey, we, uh, you know, the, the college football playoff guys, hey, we'd rather you go 10 and 2 and play a ridiculous schedule than 12 and 0 and not play anybody. And, you know, West Virginia started uh, lining up these Power Five games in the non conference. And then it became evident that really college football playoff people don't give a crap about that. So it didn't matter. And then, of course, you know, now I don't know if they foresaw th- this move to 12 because now it, it's definitely you don't want to 
you know, wear yourself out in the non-conference, or maybe you could argue you should because the non-conference isn't going to matter as much anymore once you get no. to this 12-team 12, 12 playoff. Yeah, I wonder if there'll be some buyouts in the future. Yeah. We'll see. Don't know. <laughs> that ECU game? <laughs> or are they going to keep that one? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just kick it down the, the road 15 years and then just pay them? Like, that is legitimately an Ed Passalong game. Yeah. And it's 2026. <laughs> like, he, he was involved in that sketch of that game, and here we are so many years later, too. Um, yeah, so not too many 0-1s in the Power 5 right now from a non-conference game, but call me crazy, I think that you probably feel better if you're West Virginia than if you're LSU or maybe even Utah, where, listen, all kind of dramatic, chaotic endings, but, hey, you made your field goal and you didn't throw a, a in-the-end-zone game-losing interception there, too. Um Stayed in there to, with number 17 in a row game, a rivalry game. Um, probably a lot to feel good about, which I guess, Chris, will transition into our questions here. From subscribers, we're going to go in-depth on a couple and kind of speed around a few more to make sure we touch as many bases as we can. A lot of these questions, for example, C.J. Donaldson, uh, we have discussed, we have written about, and I'm sure we'll talk about and write about some more. So don't be offended if we don't get to it here. The content's coming, I promise, but maybe not the time and the place right now. Otherwise... Fair game questions from you to Chris and I. What do you say we get started? Let's do it. Uh, first one from Mountie 06. We'll start it right off the top. Does the WVU pit attendance plus the TV ratings move some eyeballs in the ACC leadership? To recap before we answer, uh, what the largest crowd in Pittsburgh sports history, that means the biggest crowd uh, for uh, Pittsburgh, well, I guess Pirates games, Steelers games, Panthers games, any of those games, largest Riverhouse. one ever. Um, <laughs> and then uh, TV ratings, it was, uh, I can't remember the exact, it was a 3.1 million, I think, and it was the most viewers for a Thursday night game in five years, the most uh, viewers for any weekday night game in four years. Um, big numbers, impressive numbers, something for both teams to be proud of. But does it matter? No. Okay. I don't want to rain anybody's parade. The The spectacle was awesome. The game was very good. It was made for TV, and it delivered. Like, they moved that game from a Saturday to a Thursday so they could showcase the rivalry and kind of cross their fingers that you get something competitive. Everything clicked. Attendance was terrific. The teams put on a show. The coaches, I think, make this a little bit more anticipated for next year because of their behavior before, during, and after the game. Everything that that game was supposed to be before, during, and after is it, including – screaming matches between administrators and the different teams and the one team taunting the other. That's healthy stuff for a rivalry. However, that game is not going to be coming off an 11-year hiatus. It's not going to be on a Thursday night. Um, it's not going to be the first game of the season every time they play it. It's not. So... I do not want to take away from everything that that game accomplished and all the boxes that it checked, which it was supposed to do. Kudos to both sides, both teams, ESPN, so on and so forth. But that set of circumstances is not transferable or repeatable. It's not going to be there every year. Um, and if you're in the ACC going, man, we can get $3.1 million every time that we put these two teams together. Do you think so? Do you think you're going to get $3.15 million on the ACC network in October? or on Thanksgiving weekend, or whatever, right? You're going to have to have, again, a hiatus Thursday night, 
showcase game, that's a hard set of circumstances to repeat. So I don't think that it moves the needle. I'm sure they're very happy with it, but I don't think that they go, you know what, we need to change our thinking and extend an invitation to a school that we have generationally overlooked just because of a Thursday night. Do, should West Virginia take the approach that the Big East took of and some of these, you know, group of five conferences have taken since then of we'll take all your Thursday night inventory if you move us to the ACC. We'll, we'll play a different team every Thursday night if you put us into ACC. Yeah, I think the Big 12 is probably going to be doing that. <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's, it's funny, but it's true because – a couple of reasons. One, they're going to have more teams than television slots, right? Like, if uh-huh. you get, you're, it's going to be hard to get six of their TV slots on a Saturday. And if it is, one of those is going to get obscured. It's going to be probably a good team that's not going to be happy about getting put on ESPN Plus, right? So, if you can give them a Thursday night stage, that's that's fun and that'll work. So, I think if you if you find out the one team that that has the Halloween costume, so to speak, it's West Virginia. They played Thursday nights before. They've been good at it. It's been good for them. So give it a whirl and see what happens. This one is just because of the, the schedule, the way it works out. The Tech game is curious to me. That doesn't have to be a Thursday night game. And the Baylor game, sure as heck, doesn't have to be a Thursday night game. So is West Virginia saying yes to these invitations because it's trying to reassert itself as some sort of a brand? Possibly. But is the Big 12 doing the same? Probably. Because, again, they're going to have to find TV slots. They're going to have to find appeal for TV partners. And without the NFL games on, you know, regular old cable now ESPN's going to have inventory like that contract with Amazon goes for a while and ESPN's going to be like what are we going to do on Thursday nights like Cornhole or West Virginia against Oklahoma State West Virginia against Cincinnati you know I think that's something the Big 12 should lean into because there's going to be an opening and you're going to have to find a way to appease TV partners who want to give you something but you have to give them something too should we put out a disclaimer that you got rejected from the Cornhole League so that pot shot from you uh might have had some bias to it. I just, I definitely <laughs> nuked the bridge there, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, on a related note to the first question, uh, JCAR 304 had, had a two-parter, one for you, one for me. As, as everybody knows, Mike was there in person in the press box at the game. I was at home base uh, watching from afar. Uh, Mike, how was the environment in person compared to other road games you've attended? Best atmosphere since pre-COVID? Question mark. Absolutely that. That last part, absolutely. Um, for whatever reason, uh, this is one that the fans are always going to get up about. You hear a lot of people just kind of like sandbagging Pitts fans because it's just a thing you do when you have nothing else to do, whatever. Um, I was at the first Pitt game many, many years ago when Wanstack came in to be the head coach. And I remember like walking from, I guess, it'd be like my park, maybe like near the Trib building by PNC to where the press box is, which is as far away as you can get from free apart but that's another tangent and it was pretty much the same trip for me this time but the experience was was similar in that so i'm bookending really two different eras i guess you would say but like i just felt like there was a greater energy here because you know they were playing notre dame in that first pit game um pretty big opponent this one was west virginia pretty big opponent but like i just felt like it was more electric and people had been looking forward to this for a long long time and there was a hope back when wanstack came in it's kind of a reality now with Narduzzi. Say what you like about it, but he's got an ACC title and his team is, you know, a top 15, top 20 team this season. So people kind of, people can buy what they're selling and are buying what they're selling a lot better now. And then you kind of have West Virginia where that's, even when they're hopeless or their hope is low, they really, they buy into the program. So you kind of had these two 
dynamics at play. And by the way, they hate each other inside the stadium and outside the stadium. And then like there was this dynamic about, oh, is it going to be 75, 25? Like some, some, I don't even know what the report was, but like, like some very flimsy marketing thing turned into like a talking point in ESPN. Yeah, it <laughs> was, then, I can't remember, sorry to interrupt, but I, I, I saw the clip. Yeah, it was a, like a ticket selling company. And based on their data, which I don't even know what that data is, like the the mailing addresses of the people or the billing addresses of the people purchasing the tickets are more in West Virginia for, or something. I don't, I'm not sure. Said that they were expecting it to be 75-25 West Virginia for the game. Well, Chris, you know I have a, a master's in integrated marketing communications, right? Okay. Yeah, um, I do. So possibility here. When yep. I was doing projects in school, you were trying to figure out how to quantify and qualify, I guess, to who your subscribers are or who your visitors are on your website. And this is all kind of really boring internet mumbo jumbo, but you, you can have Pitt fans who live in the Morgantown area code and you could have WB fans who live in Pitt. Um, so using that type of location isn't great. Like geolocations are not great for that stuff. So what you do is you try to attach a survey or you make people fill out their profile. So if you sign up for an account, Hey, who's your favorite college team? Pitt, West Virginia, Ohio State, whatever. Um, or when you submit your ticket order, um, you know, hey, who's your, which team is going to win? Or who do you like the most? There's ways to get people to identify their allegiances. But so, so you might have been able to really have people raise their hand. Hi, I'm a Pitt fan. Hey, I'm a West Virginia fan. But how many people did that? Right. Let's say 100, right? There's 70,000 seats. And if 75 of that 100 were West Virginia fans, are we saying that 75% of the fans in the stadium were West Virginia fans? No. So it's very unscientific. But my point being, like, that became a thing. Like, that was a tinderbox for for the head coach, for the pit fans, for the pit players. Like, that was something they talked about a lot, similar to, like, the 98% wrong from the Fiesta Bowl many, many years ago. So everything leading up to the game was kind of like the perfect storm for what happened inside. And then, by the way, the game was good. You had a lot of the feisty stuff that's supposed to happen between rivals, dramatic memorable all that stuff too but you could tell the fans were competing against each other you really could and that to me was cool like that place was swaying like i don't remember it swaying before i've been there before with, with huge plays and huge reactions like when you know west virginia just embarrassed pit one year where i think slayton had 200 yards receipt rushing and pat white had 200 yards rushing and just crazy stuff was happening but like the west virginia fans took over and were just having a ball it was so much louder because both teams were in this game and that in between third quarter, fourth quarter with Sweet Caroline was was really cool. Um, I don't know who wins. I don't know who had more fans. I, I, it's really hard for me to say because I don't really pay attention to it. And I can only see half the stadium. But that was really loud. Um, again, I don't remember the press box ever swaying before. That was cool for me. And then just most most memorable for me is going to be the tip pass off of Wheaton's fingers. And it got silent. Just briefly. And then all of a sudden the crowd equal one side up and roar, one side from roar to groan really quickly. And that's when you have a full stadium that's invested in a game. And that's missing from a lot of stuff, whether it's just plain old West Virginia games because they haven't been in all these like high drama, high profile games that they're in, they're going to win to, you know, unfortunately for West Virginia, it went the wrong way. But a significant moment that's going to live on for a long time, five, 10, 20 years from now, people are like, remember that game? Yeah, there might have been 80% West Virginia fans. There might have been 50-50. I don't know. But I remember that one specific play where the ball goes off the receiver's fingers, return for a touchdown. And it's it just like a, a quintessential 
experience there just in a one moment in time. And those are those are cool things when a crowd is invested in it, watching the game that much and just knows that, man, something big just happened. Or even in that situation, something big is about to happen. Everybody's waiting for something there and everybody delivered. Uh, and to answer the from home part, because there was it, something strikingly similar to what you just described with the the tip tip six, if you will. Um the very first drive, I think was it was the second or third play where Daniels fumbled the snap, picked it up, and then threw the completion. And you could hear from home, like on the TV, just the swaying of emotions, this roller coaster of like half of the stadium being like getting excited. And half this, like you just said, half of them getting excited, half of them groaning when the ball dropped from Daniels' hands to the ground. And then him picking up and throwing it, and the same people that were excited are now groaning, and the same people that were groaning are now screaming because it was a first down. And I, I think I tweeted right at that moment, and again, that was the second or third play of the game. I was like, oh, this is going to be good because you could just tell that the entire stadium, both sides, both fan bases were just into it. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad to hear you get to – obviously, I assume you could tell there in person as well, but uh, it was intense. As it should be. Yep. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, which just makes it all the sadder. And again, something else I said, like as it was happening, because leading up to pregame, again, you were there and doing stuff pregame, and I was watching the, the game day and all they're talking about, and they're doing the voiceovers and about how uh, I believe the exact phrase was, you know, um, rivalry and hatred and distance or geography matters. I remember they said geography matters, and I'm just laughing. Like, is is ESPN really promoting? tradition and geography in college football and how it quote matters and at the very same time doing absolutely everything possible to completely undermine that like it was blowing my mind and, and it was happening right in front of your faces you know they're, they're say all this stuff and do all those things for that one night of the year and like i said the other 364 days of the year right back to undermining everything they said matters uh, on <laughs> thursday night so it's whatever but it, it, it certainly seemed like it mattered on Thursday night, that's for sure. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, 
turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um, next question. We've spent a long time on that one. That was a good one. Uh, WVU Oda asks, excluding JT Daniels, what person or thing were you most pleased with at Pitt? I'm also going to exclude CJ Donaldson. Yeah, please. Dante Stowe's was awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that came across on TV. If they mentioned him, he's a marquee guy. They may have yet, but he was he was he was controlling his area and he was getting attention. He was making things happen for other people, but like they were trying to stop him, they couldn't. He was. And he worked really well with about 45 snaps. And to to Andrew Jackson's credit, he wanted to get his guys about 60% of the snaps, and he did on a game where maybe he wanted to stretch them out. Like, there weren't a ton of snaps in that game. His starters could have played more, but he had a plan. He went with it, and, and Stills did look good, up to including, you know, he's chasing the quarterback on the last drive of the game there, too. So, or last, like, four-minute drive of the game. So, good. That worked out well for him. And then a thing, just kind of briefly, I, I – I'm okay with special teams. Like I think that there's, you can definitely see that there's an investment there. It's paying off with personnel and some planning, um, some some weird stuff, mostly on kickoff return. If that's the worst thing, and it didn't really hurt him too much, it almost did, but uh, that could be cleaned up too. So for something, it wasn't great. It didn't, you know, it did make a game changing play, but it wasn't anything where you go, man, their special teams are fixed. But they put a ton of time into it, and you can start to see some rewards there. Things look very casual very as planned and, and infrequently that's the case, especially in an opener. Yeah, I'm with you. I like the Dante Stills pick. My my stance after the game was the the entire defensive line was kind of just are are we talking about you know, it was only a couple years ago that West Virginia's defense was what, no, top five in the nation in I can't remember, was it total defense or scoring defense, one of the two. And and a lot of that had to deal with the defensive line. And and I think this defensive line not the rest of the defense, but the defensive line alone might be better than that was two years ago because it, it is deep. Everybody was making an impact. As you mentioned, Stills was in the backfield. Martin had a sack. Lockhart had a tackle for loss. Alston, I don't think he had a tackle for loss or a sack, but he was in the backfield several times. Um, yeah, I'm looking at his PFF right now. He had, he had three pressures on the quarterback. No, no sacks, no hits, no tackles for loss, but he was back there. He was in there. He was causing havoc. Uh, there was one play, I think it was third and long. And, you know, uh, I think the camera focused on on Stills chasing the quarterback, but Edward Rastarian was right there too. It was the two of them chasing the quarterback down. So, and I think I already mentioned Sean Martin. He had one. Jordan Jefferson, there was a third down play near the Pitt's own goal line. He's blowing his man up all the way back into the backfield, which leads to a tackle for loss. So you just go up and down that defensive line as a whole. You know, like every every single one of them contributed. Every single one of them was making plays uh, in that game. So that's that's a very positive sign because you cannot rely on three or two. No. Uh, you have to have more than that, and and they do. And that's why I think this defensive line could be the best it's been in a long time. No, that uh, I'm not sure how much the signing Red Bull will play immediately this year, but he's definitely in the, in the plans to play. He didn't play. And then Jalen Thornton, Hammond, Russell, and Zaki Lawton did not travel. And, again, I don't know how much those three will play, but they're certainly in queue to play. 
four more guys who can give them snaps too. So that's going to be a competitive situation. They have a chance to roll in some numbers and probably whether it's the 13th game or the second game, they, they should be well-armed. I would think to have fresh bodies and able bodies out there. Yep. Um, next question going from, from the good to the bad blue and gold 81, uh, all secondary for me. Most of it mentioned in other questions, but let's go in order. Woods injury update. Let's start there. Anything, anything new? I mean, I posted a, a big update for our VIP members on the board. Um, was it yesterday over the weekend sometime? Um, anything new since then? Have we gotten any word or we think that's probably coming Tuesday? Uh, probably coming Tuesday. I've heard that it's not like a major, major deal. I'm not sure who'll play, but it wasn't broken or anything like that from what I understand. Uh, in a boot, uh, moving around in the huddles even during the game. I think if it's a guy who needs surgery, he's probably on crutches or maybe he's off his feet and on the sideline. On the sideline of a live college football game. Uh, that was a good sign, I think. It, it's hard to pull a whole lot from that beyond the fact that they weren't trying to preserve him and keep him in bubble wrap because he needed surgery or something. So if that's an ankle sprain or something like that, uh, yeah, not great, but he can get back sooner, I would think, than later. But anything official, no. But I can't change uh, or add anything to your report the other day as everything is kind of lined up with that as well. Yeah, I guess hey, th- this is a good time to promo the, the VIP package right now. I think it ends either tonight or noon tomorrow or something, uh, 75% off. It's the best deal of the year. We do it usually only do it once, which is usually the black Friday deal, um, that they decided to run it for season opener. So if you haven't joined VIP, like I know we always say this, now's the time. Now's, no, this is literally the time it does not, it will not get better than this deal. Uh, what does it work out to 25 bucks, 26 bucks for the entire year of VIP coverage. Um, and that, that that VR VIP members had the the details on this the other night. Uh, Woods came back out from that injury, um, and he got carted off field. Came back out from the injury, was running on the sidelines, but I was told was limping badly. Uh, quote for those two words, um, and they had him stop. And then he tried again, and they had him stop. Told him to just cut it out, and then went back to the locker room at halftime. Came back out with a boot that you noted. Um, yeah, like you said, and then I was told afterwards that he was in good spirits, and I don't think someone's going to be, one, in good spirits, two, you know, as you mentioned, trotting up and down the sideline trying to get to run. Like, if he has, if you have an ACL tear or a broken ankle or whatever, you're not running twice on the sideline trying to get back in the game. Um, you're you're booted up, crutched up, off to the side. So, um, you know, whatever time frame would be, just guessing at this point, but it sounds like it's not uh, season ender, so that's good. Um, what's the pecking order at corner? Is Andrew Wilson Lamp injured, or did Mumu Ben Wahad pass him? Is Spell is Spells close to ready? Yeah, I don't know what to tell people here, but like if people say, well, what's the answer on Spells or or Wilson Lamp? You got it. Which is that Mumu Ben Wahad, at least in the estimation of the coaches, is above them both. How long? Don't know. Like these things, these competitions aren't cemented just because the season started. Like you could see flip flopping all the time now too. Um, I, I don't. I don't have a great answer, and honestly, didn't come up in the post game about why did Mumu Bin Wahad play seven snaps and no one else did. So I get the uh, the hindsight now, and we can ask about that on Tuesday. But listen, they're they're going to either have to hope that McCormick gets better that they can stop gap some of those snaps, but it's going to be an interesting first half for sure, because 
we don't know about Woods, but if he's not playing, you're starting Rashad Ajay and question mark. Don't know how they do that. So I don't think they heat up Jalen Shelton because he was a safety until not too long ago. So that means it's probably going to come down to Ben Wahad, Wilson Lamp, and Spells. Uh, ben Wahad did play. Um, Wilson Lamp was on special teams, and Spells, to my knowledge, did not play but was there. So they were talking about Spells as like a nickel corner, like a third or fourth cornerback. Late in camp, could he answer the questions about whether he could contribute or not? Maybe he didn't. Like they didn't say, hey, he's coming along and he's going to be a guy that said, hey, you know, he's a redshirt or he's a true freshman who could play and not redshirt if he can be an extra defender for us. Maybe he's not there yet. Doesn't mean he won't. Uh, ben Wahad's been around a little bit longer. He was here in the spring. It might just be that they, in that situation, so quick transition, you know, who can we get out there right away to go? Um, maybe more surprising than it was Ben Wahad than Wilson Lamp as opposed to Spells. But I don't have an explanation for that, and I think that's something we'll probably have to mine on Tuesday. I'll throw it out there. Although he did not have the best game on Thursday night, and, and this is going to be kind of bleeding into the next part of the question here, but uh, Marcus Floyd played cornerback all throughout his career until he got to West Virginia. So I'm just, just throwing it out there. Yeah, it seems dramatic for one half of the second game of the year, don't you think? That's what I'm here for. Okay. Just go go all the way, Mike. All, all the right. way. <laughs> that, but the last part of Blue and Gold 81's question was, what did you think of Floyd and Cox? Again, I think Floyd had did a rough day out there. Uh, you know, he's going to, and, and the television uh, announcers called him out big time on it, uh, on the final touch, not the final touchdown, but the final offensive touchdown for Pitt. Uh, really not even trying to tackle. Uh, on, on that play and kind of just lackadaisically waltzed over towards the sideline and tried to kind of gently shove the guy out of bounds. And instead he goes in for the touchdown. Um, he's credited with two missed tackles on the day, uh, according to PFF, uh, had a terrible coverage grade, was the second lowest, third lowest down uh, regular for the game. No, fourth lowest. Everybody had a bad game apparently uh, in that secondary. So, just not a great day for him. Uh, Cox, and he's right there with Floyd with the bad PFF grades. Uh, I, I was trying to think. I felt like he was out of position a couple times. That was just my eyeballs there. But he didn't play that much. I I thought he might play a little more, but Malinger has, had a, a nice day, so maybe that's part of the reason why. I think Cox is on every special team. Yeah. Well, I think oh. I was, uh, on defense, he only had 16 snaps. I think sure. I think he, I mean, I bet you, I guarantee he played more on special teams. He was probably north of 20 snaps on special teams. Yeah. Um, maybe he's not on PAT field goal, but I think everything else he's involved in, or it seemed to me like he was. Um, but just a different player than Malinger in that game, especially. I think that they were asking Malinger to run and cover the slot guy a lot. And um, he had some shaky moments, but that's going to be kind of a position they have to nurture and develop throughout the year, I think. Don't disagree. Uh, moving on down. Next question. A friendly WVU fan. Neil Brown came out on Sunday afternoon with a very different video pleading with the fan base not to give up on the team. Was there any internal feedback, calls to the ticketing office, or otherwise that would cause this odd response from Brown? Let me start with this. I do feel it's odd. Do you feel it was an odd response? If they got smushed on Thursday... I think it might make sense. Like, if they really think that they're good and they get beat like thirty-one to ten, okay, then maybe, uh, maybe you're like, you know what, we gotta, we gotta get this thing back on track. But 
every one of their defenses and justifications after the game was that they're close. You know, they, they almost won the game. They played really hard. Like, they were really proud of their performance apart from losing. And then to have this video just makes me think, that, like, did they want to make sure people hear the message? You know, do they want to make sure that they're getting their message out there. And I think that's important, too, because, you know, for to lose an opener that was highly anticipated and then to come home 0-1 against Kansas is not going to make people terribly excited. I would say they're probably really, really happy it's a night game, though, because if this is a noon game. I wonder what the attendance would be, but it's a home opener, too. So they really shouldn't have to be, you know, rigged to get attendance there. But I just think the fact that they're 0-1, they lost to a rival, and, and to be honest, kind of familiar frustrations that you wonder, eh, has anything changed, anything different? Let me wait and see. And that might not be for a while, and it might not be Saturday at 6 p.m. So I can certainly understand why they want to do it. It just seems strange to me because they left the locker room area Thursday night convinced and maybe convincing others that that was a good performance and that just stay tuned. This team is going to keep you pick you up more than it lets you down this year. Um we, we could parse the words and, and maybe how he said as opposed to what he said, but I'm sure it's a guy who really, really wants it and knows that the story could be very different, and I think he wants to make sure that people believe what he's selling. That's okay. Yeah, I just, I, I'm I'm with you. I think that when I say odd, I just felt, like my thought was, I feel like I have a pulse of what's going on with mm-hmm. the fans, and I thought it was a little early. Like, I, I just didn't think things were that desperate at this point. You know, it's one loss to a top 20 team. Yes, in brutal fashion, but it should tell you that, hey, I, I don't think West Virginia played, you know, their best. I think they played fine, but there were some big mistakes, some big moments in that game that, you know, were just silly little things that that are just part of sports. And that's why it ended up being a loss. And I just don't think it was, you know, I, it just shocked me to see it like, wow, this is a, almost like are they desperate to desperate here? Because this I think this team is good. And I think they're going to be fine. And I think the fans will realize that in the coming weeks. But mm-hmm. Yeah, but then book, bookend it four or five weeks from now where Brown can kind of be, I told you so. Yeah. Told you we had a good thing. You know, I'm glad you guys stuck with us. So preemptive strike perhaps. And again, nothing wrong with that. But he's got to be right. Yep. Uh, WV, WV Blessed asks, if you could have one transfer back from last year's squad, who would help this team the most? It's a great question because mm-hmm. the quantity of transfers, and, and I think we've also gotten to the quality, it really makes you think because there are also some areas out there where you're thinking, boy, they're, they're kind of thin here. They could use something here. Um, there's some interesting questions in the bag. This one I thought was like particularly different and really kind of made me think, and I think the answer is kind of revealing here. Do you want to go first? Uh, I mean, my, my pick was uh, Jackie Matthews. I think we talked about it before, uh, and I've said it. I've said it for months now. I thought that, you know, even though there were some very good players leaving, he was maybe the biggest because he had some versatility. He was very good on the field. He could play corner. He could play safety. He could be that spear. And I felt that spear was very important. Um, So I think, you know, even before the secondary issues reared their ugly heads last night, I was picking Matthews. And then after what I saw last night, I feel even more strongly about that. Yeah. So this, I mean... There's a lot of candidates here that you go, well, obviously the answer is blank. And I'm, I'm not sure that that's it because, like, they don't – like, for example, like Akeem Mesador, that would be a popular one, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, they're okay on the defensive line. Like, I don't think it's going to hurt them so much not having him. Um, 
I'm just trying to think of other ones here, like Winston Wright. Like they need some punch at receiver for sure. And that that might be the answer. But I don't know. Like how how great was he as a receiver last year? I'm not sure. I do think that he would be inspired by the quarterback play. So then I started to think about receivers, like, okay, what about him? What about Sean Ryan? What about Isaiah Esdale? But like Ryan and Esdale are, are pretty pedestrian players. That they're reliable, but they, they didn't do anything that made you say, Man, I really miss that. So that's a tough one for me. I was a big, big Daryl Porter fan. Like, I just believed in his pedigree. But, I mean, he was also kind of smallish and just doesn't fit what they're trying to do on defense this year, which is run around, be long, and play man. So that's a tough one. They're thin at linebacker. And say what you will about Josh Chandler Samito, but, like, he played on Saturdays. So maybe he'd be a great depth guy. Or maybe he would start and give you depth. So just just some some obvious ones that maybe aren't so obvious there, too. But, um, I don't know, would you count Lynn J. Dixon? <laughs> Like, if they need, like, a little burner in the backfield, I don't know. That'd be interesting. But I, I like this question because they did lose so many, and it makes you think, like, okay, well, they, they clearly are hurting me because of this, but maybe they're not because they have recruited well, they developed well. The one that, like, just stands out to me now, and, again, I, I, I said this at the time, like, this didn't seem like a big loss, but you need players like this just because, is TJ Banks. I thought he was a good player last year, like, not a star, maybe miscast, but they did have to stretch him out from like a backup role to extended playing time. And he performed like he became a good blocker. You could throw him the ball and he would do some things, but they just don't have tight end play right now. And this is something that we heard late in camp. And it definitely was on the field Thursday is that they need, they need something, someone at tight end. They got a ton of Michael Lachlan credit to him for playing North of 50 snaps and for being there, you know, making plays at the end of the game. But to do two tight end stuff or consistently do one tight end stuff, you're going to have to have guys you can constantly have out there, and they don't. Um, and then, like, initially, I didn't even think about this, but when I was looking at the list of players who had gone, trying to remember, it just occurred to me, like, man, they would. your program needs guys like TJ Banks. Um, those are depth guys who can fill in and start. Those are people who can kind of give you value at a position that you might not realize until you don't have it. And now that you don't have a TJ Banks there, and this is not to, to completely cast aside Brian Palende right now, but... Um, is the game different if they're a little bit bigger and stronger at tight end? I don't know, maybe, but I think you have fewer worries if they have uh, a greater contingency at tight end. That is one heck of an off-the-wall pick. But, I mean, if you talk about, like, one game, like, at least as far as Thursday night is concerned, and yeah, you know, you can believe it. Like, if you if, if you... If all if if what you're looking at is just Thursday night, because that was that was bad. Like it was bad. Uh, what you saw a tight end on Thursday night, mm-hmm. at least as far as the blocking was concerned. Brian Palendi came in here, and he was known as this guy blocks. We don't know if he can catch, but he blocks. He's one of the best blockers in the country. 34.0 pass blocking grade from PFF. Gave up a sack. Nearly, I think the sack that he gave up that was the one he he just got destroyed when they were on their own one yard line and that mm. was when I believe that was when, uh, or maybe they were on their three. Cause that was when Daniels got stripped, I think strip sacked and fumbled on the one and West Virginia recovered. That was Palendi who just let his man go right by him. And even on run blocking 44.0, uh, run blocking great from PFL. So, uh, rough, rough day, uh, for, for a guy that was supposed to be known as, as a, a blocking tight end. Tough for him. Tough debut. Um, I'm not sure he was the best blocker in the country, but maybe he was the best one available. But they they definitely talked him up. But, um, yeah, is Banks a weird answer? Sure. Is Matthews a weird answer? Sure. But I think if you think about 
the offseason story is, oh, my gosh, all the transfers are going to be in such danger. It's really not obvious. Like, there's not an obvious answer to this one here. And if you're talking about depth guys, like a backup tight end or a backup defensive back, flexibility in, in formations or flexibility in packages in the defense, um, I feel like that's correctable. And, and you're not you're not hurting because of who you don't have. You're just hurting because it's not quite there yet. And that maybe is a good perspective on their roster, and in particular the additions they brought in to make things better than they could be. Now, we, we've, as usual, gone longer than expected here, but there is one question that actually several people asked some version of, so we'll go with that right now. Um, I'll read RBCWVU's version of the question. Win-loss aside, how did you feel about the performance of the team? Meet, eat, exceed, or less than expectations? And I'll add on to it because this is what others had asked. Does it change your perception of the rest of the season? All right, so I thought the difference in the season for them, whether they'd be 6-6 six and six or, or north or south of that, would be could they win a game that they weren't supposed to or would they lose games they weren't supposed to? And I kind of figured that if this team's experience, maturity, all this thing about, yeah, we have new players, but they're actually older, and then they actually do have quite a few returning players that are older players, that they could go into different places or they could play in tight situations and not do what has been kind of synonymous with the Brown brand of football so far and just not make the plays or contribute to their own demise. And that didn't happen Thursday. But that doesn't mean that, like, you kind of turn on the team, at least in my opinion here. I, I thought they'd be 7-5 and five and they would lose. So right now, like, they're 0-1. And, and they haven't done anything that's terribly surprised me, but they also kind of fit into the canister I'd set aside for them, which was that they made the plays that did not win in the game. So I can't figure out, however, if that was a game they were supposed to win and they didn't, or if that was a game that they lost that they had no business losing. I'm just not sure where they're at on that one. Is that a, is it that they give one away, or do they almost get one they shouldn't have? I'm not sure. We'll see. Um, I do feel better about their offense. The quarterback, now that you've seen it live, you, you just tell. Um, you can tell like it, it looks the way it's supposed to look. It lifts up the offense. It gives you a chance, and you can go down and score. Um, you can make third down plays. You can almost get a fourth and 16 completion, but like – the quarterback is going to be fine. The offensive line, I think, will come together. And then the defensive front is going to be good. So those are things that you thought were going to be, um, if not strengths, then maybe the difference between a couple of wins if they weren't strengths. And so far, so good. I think that's probably promising there, too. Um, and I just I said this in the postgame, too. I thought they did a pretty good job protecting, hiding, managing their weaknesses um, in, until, you know, for example, the secondary – they just ran out of options and time and, and guys, and they kind of got hurt a little bit there too. But can they continue to do that? What are their weaknesses? Can they manage them? We'll see. But I feel probably more confident in my prediction that I think their offense is going to be okay and their defense should be as well, and that the fate of their season is going to be winning games that they shouldn't or losing games that they shouldn't. I'm just not sure which one Thursday was. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think, uh, you know, leading up, we both picked when we most both made our picks. What was that like right before fall camp? We both said seven and five. I think we might have had a game or two flip flop, but we both said seven and five. And then the week leading up to the season, I hedged up to eight and four in part because quarter like mostly because of JT Daniels. You know, if you have an elite quarterback, I felt, hey, that that's worth an extra win. That it's going to eight and four is going to probably sound too sunshiny for a lot of people, but I felt if you have an elite quarterback, that's worth an extra win. 
and, and that one extra win was going to be this game, basically. And it didn't happen. But I saw the quarterback that I thought, you know, or I heard or we heard like down the stretch was special. And so that still makes me feel strongly that West Virginia can finish. You know, if this is a loss and I had eight and four, then seven and five, I think that's very reasonable. If they go to eight and four, like that wouldn't surprise me either. Cause again, I, I think this team is good. I think it has its weaknesses, but I think it has that quarterback. It has those couple of elite players on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, one being JT Daniels on one side, and, and I know some people might not want to hear this right now, but Bryce Ford Wheaton uh, is another one on offense. And then on defense, I think you got a couple uh, guys, Dante Stills uh, especially, that can really make it special and, and make the big plays that, that kind of flip a game or two. And that's why I still think seven and, you know, seven and five, eight and four is realistic for this team, even after an opening loss. You had them losing the tech. I know. And then so, I think, yeah, I had them. I had the beginning of the year. I think when we did our thing pre fall camp, I was like, hey, they go crazy and win at Pitt and then lose at Black in Blacksburg. And then when I updated it to eight and four, I added in the win in Blacksburg to make it eight and four, you know, right before the season started. So this Pitt one's the one that, that that's got me, though. Mm-hmm. My whole thesis about their maturity and their experience, that's going to be tested, I think, certainly in Blacksburg, but probably this week, too, because I think the Kansas is going to come in feeling really good about itself and probably not scared of West Virginia, but maybe not knowing what West Virginia knows about itself. And they just apply what they believe to be true, what they're saying in Twitter videos or post-game news conferences, then they should be okay here. But then, like, they, they would weather a storm about, you know, kind of a – Disappointing loss and then, you know, a conference opener against a team they're familiar with. And then all of a sudden that tech game becomes a lot easier, too. So listen, we'll have answers before too long, for sure. Yep. Well, and speaking of answers, I will have the rest of these answers. Because, again, you guys, not surprisingly, after a season opening loss to a rival, uh, had, what was it, 50, 50 questions for this one? So, uh, well... 50 posts with a few having multiple questions in it. So more than 50 questions. I will get to the rest of these in written form and have them up Tuesday morning before we get to meet with Neil Brown, some coordinators, some players. Um, And again, these are questions from our VIP members. If you are not a VIP member, you'd like to ask these questions or you'd like to read the answers on our message board and a whole, whole, whole lot more. 75% off. Right now, like uh, it, it either ends tonight at midnight or tomorrow, I think. I can't remember which one. So might want to jump on it now because this is like that Black Friday only kind of deal and it's happening this weekend. So get on it while you still can. Come get all the coverage you can for an entire year. Lots going on. The gap between games closes, I guess, officially tomorrow. New news conference, Neil Brown, coordinators, players will ask a lot of questions that we can't yet answer until then. I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.